Welcome to another edition of The List, a Right Fiction podcast. We've got a great show for you all today about our favorite reggae albums. Before we get started, if you love the pod, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your listening app. It helps us reach new listeners like you. Also, be sure to check out our companion Spotify playlist with all our picks that we mentioned in the pod. The link is in the show details. Now, on to the show. When I'm out on the town and I hear musicians play that recognizable counterpoint between the bass and drum downbeat or that offbeat rhythm section, I just want to dance. That is always what happens to me when I hear the musical genre called reggae. That need to dance when I hear reggae is just innate and uncontrollable. While the groove is easily recognizable and has widespread popularity, what I realized when preparing for today's show is that I, in fact, know nothing of the actual artists that create this infectious music beyond Bob Marley. I know nothing of the countless classic reggae albums that are out there in the world. These albums made by artists such as Toots and the Maytals, Steel Pulse, and the Heptones have so much to offer all the unsophisticated rubes in the world like me. Fortunately, for both you folks out there and myself, on today's show, we'll be sharing with you our favorite reggae albums and why we love them. So hang out with us for a bit and see if our list matches yours. But before we get into our picks, I have to say that we called in a ringer to help us with the topic today. So let me introduce our guest, Adam Flicker, to everyone. And so Flicker, uh, yeah, Flicker. Thank you for having me. uh, As he's known by Flicker, as he's known by folks, is an amazing musician who plays both the keys and trumpet. I've had the privilege of having him play on my first album, Sing. And he's played on countless other projects as well for artists, including American Babies, The Disco Biscuits, Mootloo, Ben Arnold, Up the Chain, and many others. Flicker, thanks for hopping on with us today. My pleasure. Yep. And with that, let's get on to the show. Um, Freddie. Yo. What is your number three pick? My number three pick is, uh, speaking of Bob Marley, Bob Marley live and it says it's bob marley and the whalers but it's not really a whalers album per se um it's a great live album and the definitive version of no woman no cry is actually taken from this record um it's a very exciting album the band was really amped up and some of the tempos are a little fast, but uh, it, it really works. And it's uh, it's just one of the great live reggae albums of all time, in my opinion. My number three pick. Nice. Hey, Flicker, what is your number three favorite reggae album of all time? Uh, I guess if we're going to order this... Jeez, that's difficult to choose between my three picks. Um. I'm going to go with the one that shows up here on the list, Rastafari Centennial uh, by Steel Pulse. It's a live record also. Um, and this was, uh, this this in conjunction with another Steel Pulse record was the one that solidified Steel Pulse is my favorite band. Uh, the musical arrangements are complex while the groove is uh, 
steady and never ending, and that's what we're looking for. That's what I'm looking for in reggae, at least. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, Adam, what is your number three pick, man? My number three. My number three. Now, uh, I went with uh, Marcus Garvey uh, by Burning Spear. I'm I'm not saying I have known this one forever. This one I've been kind of hip to just as of recent, but I kind of really dig on to this. It's got that. I mean, it's heavily political. It's uh, it's it's almost like, you know, I mean, at the the time when it came out, it wasn't like they didn't think like a white audience would even kind of understand it. But it's got a really kind of rootsy feel to it. And 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 it really kind of broke out uh, their uh, their main singer there. Yo, I'm losing uh losing my names here. I'm not I'm not too good with the names. Uh, whoop, pardon my uh, pardon my pause here. Uh, oh, Winston Rodney. I mean, but like Burning Spear has been around forever, and I've known some of his other later stuff. But like then I dig back into this. I'm like, oh, this is considered one of the best. You know, you know, on a lot of lists. I'm like, oh, I see why. Number three. I I do have to say, Burning Spear is, is a funny one because it's the name. It's, this, it's the stage name of the guy and the name of the band. Right. So it's, it, 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 it is confusing. It wrong. <laughs> I'm just trying to be as I, we try to be as factually accurate as yeah. we can without 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 faking it. And I had to kind of half fake it there a little bit. <laughs> well, that's why we got you on the on the pod flicker. Totally. Provide works. all the uh, yeah. We we need the ringer. <laughs> uh, Brendan, what do you got for your number three favorite reggae album pick? So my number three pick I have on vinyl, and I, I got it by one of those friends that's like, I'm getting rid of all my records. You like records. Do you want them? So yes, of course. I take, I take everybody's records <laughs> to offload them. And so I was going through this, um, the boxes, the crates that he gave me, and I found this record by the Abyssinians from 1976. It's Sada Masagana. And on first blush, it was just amazing to me. The grooves are great. Uh, it's it's a classic album as I've come to find out of the genre. And this group is super great. And I I really connected with it. And it's like one of those things where for me, reggae lifts off the most when it's that great combination of it's a party, but it's a spiritual experience. And it's like the most feel good protest music you could ever think of. And so for me, that's what this Abyssinians record does. Very cool. Right on. And uh, let me give you my, um, uh, number three favorite reggae album. And my pick is Cool Rasta, uh, 1976 by the Heptones. And um, so for this album, I really just really enjoyed the harmonies and the vocals. Um, I, I'm a I'm an old school kind of soul guy. And um, <laughs> this record reminded me like a, a Jamaican version of The Main Ingredient. I don't know if you guys know The Main oh, Ingredient, yeah. that, that old 70s kind of soul band. Um, it was Cuba Gooding, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s dad was in that band. That's right. Um, wow, wow. And, uh, Everybody plays the fool sometimes. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just a really great vocal arrangements and harmonies that really got me on this record. So that's my number three favorite um, reggae album. And so we'll kick it back to you, Freddie. What is your yeah. number two now, favorite I just wanna, reggae I, album? I want to preface something by saying that the classic jamaican trio harmony was modeled after the impressions also mm. from chicago curtis mayfields and the impressions from everything i've read and heard that's the classic trio jamaican harmony was hmm. influenced by the impressions yep and it, 
And it's interesting that, um, well, maybe I'll save this for later, the time period. My number two favorite reggae album is Peter Tosh's debut solo record, Legalize It, with one of my favorite songs, regardless of genre, Catchy Shuby, All Night Long. (laughs) (laughs) Love that song. And uh, it's just a great album, great concept, great band. Peter Tosh, one of my favorite reggae singers of all time. Right. Number two. Legalized. What a, what a fun singing range he has, you know? He's just, he's very comfortable in his range. I love it. I would consider him a tenor. Yeah. Right? Maybe a little lower. A little lower. Yeah, baritone. Baritone. Yeah. Somewhere. Straddling. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Right nice. on. Flicker, what is your number two favorite reggae album of all Number time? two, Tribute to the Martyrs, also Steel Pulse. Uh, the primary reason for this is there's a song on this on this record called uh, Babylon Makes the Rules, which uh, A, is a true statement, uh, and B, has, uh, for me, the, the most mesmerizing bass line that matches up with the rest of the song that I've ever heard in my life uh when i first heard this song i it it blew my mind and i uh i then just started listening to it like four or five times a day for months uh so if you've never heard babylon makes the rules and you know how to actively listen to music like you can pick out different instrument parts and stuff like that pay attention to the bass line and prepare to have your mind blown right on thank you that's deep um, Adam, what is your favorite, uh, second favorite, excuse me? My two, number two, time. second one, two favorite. Uh, yeah, I, went, I, went, I did a little shift here. I mean, it's a little more in the predictable genre. We, I, I'm just impressed. We went very deep into the reggae genre. This, and, and that's really cool. It made me realize I you know, don't know as much as I, as I should. But uh, I, I went from an album that was criticized for being too political to an album that was criticized for not really being political at all in Bob Marley's Kaya, which was recorded. Uh, it was recorded alongside Exodus, which is basically, you know, the greatest hits album. But I, I, something like, like, you know, my first two picks here, and this one, the next one are all kind of based on nostalgia. And this is one of those. I mean, it's just, I don't know, like Sun is Shining became, you know, it, it just morphed into, you know, a reggae standard. That's, and we'll talk about that later. It seems like there's like a songbook, a reggae songbook, you know what I mean? But uh, I, I just like this is a laid back Bob Marley album. It's just about love and weed and who don't like those things. Number two, Bob Marley, Gaia. Nice. Brendan, number two favorite reggae album of all time. My number two, you guys might give me a hard time about this, but it is a compilation album. I went with Lee Scratch Perry and their album is Bob Marley versus Lee Scratch Perry, the best of the upsetter years, 1970 to 1971. And I came to this record because I wanted to listen to more Lee Scratch Perry. And to me, he's an amazing influence as a producer. I love his use of effects and creating the the subgenre of dub music. He's just 
such a and such an interesting character. Like the story goes that he burned <laughs> down his own studio in like a fit of rage or something like that. He, he's done that more than once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. So um, definitely a person to study from a production standpoint and just from a, a biography standpoint. And I At also arms length maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, maybe maybe not the best hang. But I would say this is a great record for anyone who wants an alternate side of Bob Marley. If you get a little tired of the mainstream Bob Marley, then this is the record for you. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and actually, that album has, uh, uh, you know, uh, my favorite version of that song, The Sun is Shining on it, um, which I think I thought was awesome. Agreed. Um, and uh, so I would give you my number two favorite uh, reggae album and that is the is a compilation album um and it's fabulous greatest hits uh 1968 by uh prince buster and uh so i just really like this album because um it kind of has a like, 19 kind of 60s like lo-fi vibe to it um and it's dirty and i, I love the instrumentals cool melodies on it um, and also gave me those like ska vibes, I guess, because, you know, it's early, I guess, reggae. So it definitely gave me that early kind of ska vibe and stuff or rock steady. I'm not as sure what between the, dif- what the difference is, but maybe you guys can help me figure that out later. Ska's faster. Um, oh, you heard you said so, like, <laughs> 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 lifting the curtain, the curtain has been lifted. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dave. Anyway, <laughs> Freddie. Yes. What is your number one favorite okay. reggae album? Oh, can I interrupt one second? Sure. Freddie, Freddie, is this your actual number one? Uh, yeah, because this guy is my actual number one favorite reggae singer in the world. Recent, ah. Recently deceased, I call him the Otis Redding of Jamaica, Frederick Toots Ibert. So it's in the Maytals Funky Kingston. And interesting story. This album was actually released in Jamaica and the UK three years before it was released in the United States with a different track listing. The track listing that I'm aware of, well, actually the track listing that I first heard was the US version which has more songs on it. Um, and I actually heard the original version once, and I was like, wait, what? Something miss- missing. So Funky Kingston by Toots and the Maytals, my number one pick. Uh, the U.S. version, anyway. Time Tough, Funky Kingston. Love is Gonna Let Me Down, which is great, because it's... It starts with a 6-8 intro, like an old, you know, soul slash doo-wop. And then it breaks into the skank, and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Very, very, uh, very cool arrangement. His, of course, his version of Country Road, which is incredible. And Pressure Drop, one of his biggest hits. So that's my number one from my number one. 
I, I gotta say, I think that's probably the most excited I've ever uh, seen you have any pitch. <laughs> and we've been doing this for like, I don't know, like 16 weeks now. And Reagan, you'll most, do that to the right person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most I, excited I've ever seen you, Fred. I just love Toots. I love his voice. <laughs> and, very cool. And Winston Grennan, one of my favorite, favorite reggae drummers. Uh, session drummer also is he, is he the guy on that record is yep. he the guy that, is he the guy that plays that phil and funky kingston yeah so good yeah so good wow yep um all right well that, that's very cool um flicker man what's your favorite reggae album of all time sir uh, my favorite reggae album of all time is also literally my number one uh is conscious party by ziggy marley uh, back in the day, this is an album that was uh, released in 1988. Back in the day, I, I guess I was probably probably a couple years after 1988. A a an Adam Flicker who was in third grade uh, saw his father come home who from work. He worked at the time at Wall to Wall Sound and Video, and he had brought home for me a cassette tape of Conscious Party. Uh. And I didn't know what reggae was, being in third grade. And so I popped it on, and I can uh, honestly say that I was never the same after that, ever. Um, it just kind of introduced me to the whole vibe. I got to know the record inside and out. Uh, I didn't hear the record for a very long time, and then started listening to it again with the advent of Spotify. Um, it turns out I still know the record very well. Um, and... Also, Keith Richards is a guest guitarist on one of the tracks, but he's really just regurgitating every line that Peter Tosh ever played, every lead line. <laughs> and I find that to be funny because you can hear the tone. You can hear Keith Richards' tone, but he's playing all those Peter Tosh lines, and it's great. Wow. Great, record. great record. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, great pick, man. Um, Adam, what is your favorite reggae album of all time? All right, I have to res represent the guitar players here on, on my number one here. And I went with, uh, although it's a little, uh, you know, not in the meat of his career, I went with uh, Ernest Wranglin's Gotcha from circa 2001. And I mean, this, I mean, if you look up the history of Ernest Wranglin, he's just, in, he's in everything, everywhere. I mean, he's, he, he can even, you know, you read up and he might have been credited for inventing the ska guitar, you know, rhythm. But, uh, but what I like about this album is, is and this is what, uh, when I, when, uh, in 2001, I actually, my buddy gave me, you know, when we were burning CDs with our friends, my buddy gave me this CD and I just fell in love with the tone. And he's also, he's just, he's just like, he's a, he's a, he's a reggae West Montgomery to me. He's just got those great jazz licks, those block chords, and he's just got that, that flow. And this is the, this is my like lay in a hammock album. And it just, it, you know, it calmed me then and it, and it still calms me now. Ernest Wranglin, gotcha, number one. Gotcha. Brendan, <laughs> what is your number one favorite reggae album of all time? So similarly to Mr. Flicker, mine comes from my childhood and eight-year-old me seeing the movie Cool Runnings and getting like super into the music. And so I had the, the uh, single of Jimmy Cliff uh, on cassette 
And I love that. And I, I played the hell out of that. And then adult me grew up and was discovering more Jimmy Cliff. And so my number one pick is the soundtrack for The Harder They Come. Because I think that's perhaps a little more of an evolved album choice than the Cool Running soundtrack. <laughs> no, the, I'm going with the heart of the can. <laughs> yeah, it would have been all right. But if you look at the soundtrack for this, I mean, it was it was definitely a gateway for reggae to certainly gain wider audiences, at least in the states. Um, the film definitely went there, and the soundtrack followed. And it's widely credited to Jimmy Cliff, but you do have representation from a lot of other regular artists, including Toots and the Maytals. Yeah, they're on there. So it's just a, a great, um, just just diving right into the genre. And there's a lot of classic songs on there by classic artists. Wow. Totally cool runnings. Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm going to buy you a shirt. Uh, they're going to name a John Candy album or something. <laughs> All right, here is okay. Well, here is my number one favorite album of uh, reggae album of all time. This is uh, Aaron here, and um, so my favorite reggae album of all time is Return of Django, nineteen sixty nine, from the Upsetters. Um, and the reason I really love this album is because. Um, it's like weird instrumentals um, with like organ and horns and a lot of cool melodies. There's a dirty vibe. And basically when I think about this album, it's like if I was in like a, a dirt bar in Northeastern Pennsylvania, um, I'd love to just kind of you know, throw back a whole bunch of cocktails and just dance to this album and then probably pass out uh, underneath the bench somewhere. And um, this album would just provide the perfect soundtrack for that. Uh, for me so that's why this is my number one favorite um reggae album and with that we're going to take a short break and be back uh with some discussion hold on Freddie, I'm going to go to you, man. Um, so this was your pick t this week, um, reggae albums. Yeah. So w what about reggae, the genre, like um, kind of, you know, attracts you to it? Um, you know, is it something about, you know, being a drummer or like what, what about it? It was totally the feel, the drum feel. And I got to say that speaking of Winston Grennan, I mean, this guy, he's like the Hal Blaine of Jamaica. So there was a song. When I was a kid growing up, called Israelites by Desmond Decker. That's Winston Grennan playing drums on that. That song was on top 40 radio in the 60s. That was my introduction to reggae. I was like, what is that? What's going on? What is that beat? And then I saw The Harder They Come in the theaters in 1970. Four, I guess the, when they showed that in the theater, did they have subtitles yet, uh, or did you, or were you just on your own? <laughs> I, <laughs> funny you should mention that. Uh, I was probably imbibing some in some of the uh, 
you know, greenery. And so mm -hmm. I don't remember. It was actually, it was on Martha's Vineyard. I was just graduated high school, summer of 74. I was up there visiting a friend. We went to the theater, saw the movie. I was hooked on reggae ever since. Wow. Not hooked on phonics, hooked on reggae. Works so, for you. Yes, it does. Always. And, Love it. And, and Flicker, I know you're a deep reggae head. Um, so, like, for for a guy like me, uh, a rube is my word of the day, like me, um, who just doesn't understand it, doesn't um, kind of make that connection, like, how how did you make the connection and then how would for for just someone who just doesn't really know anything about it like what would you kind of say to them as far as like um just reggae as a, as a genre as a whole like so i made the connection in a in a relatively natural way that kind of in in a way mirrors the history of reggae itself uh initially i was introduced to ziggy marley you know when i was younger i didn't really I, I got into Bob Marley after that for a while. Um, I, you know, I was a, a, a kid in, in later elementary school and early middle school, and I wanted to listen to all the Bob Marley I could find, and it blew my mind. Uh, and then eventually, uh, a, a few years later, in the middle of middle school, I joined uh, what uh, many people my age who were musical at the time joined. I joined a ska band. Uh, and in the late nineties, uh, and that really kind of, that, that brought along a whole other level of education for me because I was really just, uh, listening to Bob Marley at the time. Um, and so I got very deep into anything else that was earlier and not necessarily Bob Marley, uh, for years. Um, and then I guess probably at the end of high school or so, I started uh, habitually ingesting cannabis, uh, and that brought me to the slower playing slower reggae, uh, which is kind of what how I like to describe the progression of the music in Jamaica. They started smoking a lot more weed, and everything slowed down, um, <laughs> and that that's kind of what happened with me. And so I uh, just started playing mainly reggae after that and obviously not so much ska that sort of went by the wayside a little bit and uh my life uh my musical life since the end of high school has really just kind of been in uh, two parallel universes i've been playing uh, uh a lot of american rock and roll style or british rock and roll depending on what country of origin you want to talk about with that uh and reggae and um I don't know, man. I, I'm into it because it's it's different. Like as a musician, you have to approach that genre with a you have to develop a completely different arsenal of 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 things that you do during reggae versus things that you would do during playing uh rock and roll or singer songwriters music. And it is not uh it's not easy to do when when you're coming up playing primarily reggae or sorry primarily rock and roll or coming from maybe even like a high school jazz band perspective which is another place that I was coming from uh and so when I was just out of high school I joined a band it was me and my buddy Dave that I graduated high school with and five Jamaicans and we rehearsed in the basement of a reggae record store on North Broad near Einstein Medical Center 
that isn't there anymore. And um, Coxones? It was Coxones Studio yeah, One Records. Yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, and I rehearsed. Uh, Coxon was kind of like the dad of the band. He didn't really play any music, but he sure told us what he thought of what we were playing. Uh, <laughs> and I. Uh, and man, for, for the first like five or six months, I thought I was hot shit. And every time I went into rehearse, uh, these guys would fucking yell at me because I was not playing stuff right. Uh, and I showed up to rehearsal one day after a number of months and I was like, I don't want anybody to yell at me at this rehearsal today. <laughs> uh, and so instead of just kind of like being like a cocky high school jazz band musician, I decided to listen to what these guys were yelling at me about. Uh, and I finally, uh, w- once I took in what they were saying to me, then I was playing reggae. <laughs> that that was basically it. I just had to like listen to these guys, and then once you once you want, truly understand the angle of approach, which is way different than regular Western music, uh, you 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 start to you know obviously make up your own riffs, and they become they they are in line with what is acceptable and what sounds good within that genre. And it's really, I, it is, it is not intuitive initially. It is steep learning curve. Hmm. And, uh, that, and even, even just the fact that there's a steep learning curve is, uh, so fascinating as somebody that picks up different musical genres relatively easy. The the learning curve was fascinating. And I knew that I always wanted to be involved in the genre. Brandon, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you got to add? Yeah, I, that was super illuminating, Flickr. And I think another entry point for me to talk about what, what Aaron was was pleading for, too. I had a friend who lived in New Orleans for a while, and he hosted a radio show. And the whole theme of the show was the connection between reggae music and American R&B, which Freddie sort of alluded to <clears throat> earlier. And this idea fascinates me because the the formation of reggae as a genre, a part of, part of the contributing force of that was AM radio. And in Jamaica, yep. the radio stations from like from New Orleans and, and places where it would reach. And Miami. Right. And Miami, they, they would pick yep. up on this. And so they're hearing this music that's happening in the States and they're responding to it through their own experience, their own lives. And that's part of what has formed reggae. So I think for you, Aaron, someone that needs an entry point, that could be an interesting way to do it is to make a playlist of music from the same era from from jamaica and also what was happening in american r&b at the time and to try to find those those common threads very interesting very, very interesting some, some yeah. of those old songs actually the r&b songs it's, it's interesting you bring that up it they are they are reggae songs if it were not for the drum beat and so right. one could even say that it's feasible that they had crappy reception in yes. Jamaica, and that they thought, like their instincts, you know how, like sometimes when you're when you're listening to something, sometimes you hear things that you think you really truly hear. Yep. But you're, that's not what you hear. You know, it's just that your brain is inserting. And from these guys, from they're coming at it from that angle, and lo and behold, the bass drum gets placed on the opposite side. Yep, yep, <laughs> that's yep. fascinating. And, and also, you can't discount the influence of mento music in ska which led to rock steady which led to reggae that that kind of and, me- and mento, is the, mento is the pre-ska genre that Folk came music. from jamaica yeah yep yeah. exactly you can't discount that in the evolution of reggae music 
And so, so I have to I have to dig into to that kind of stuff uh, 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 a bit. And um, so reggae is a identifiable genre of music, right? Um, there aren't I don't know of I mean I guess there there have been kind of fusion. Um, I guess maybe reggaeton or something like that is a fusion a reggae fusion thing. Um, but you know, as a, as a genre, like I don't see a whole bunch of fusions like back in the day. And actually when I was actually looking at listening to uh, Flickr, your pick, um, conscious party, your, your, your favorite album of all time by Ziggy Marley. I was like, you know, I was listening to the whole Spotify playlist and I was like, this stands out because it seems like he was trying to incorporate 80 sounds and the eighties production values, um that was actually something my father explained to me he was like he was like i'm gonna give you this tape of ziggy marley he goes his father's name is bob marley i very distinctly remember this being a small child hearing this from my dad and he goes (coughs) he says i want to introduce you to bob marley but i want you to hear ziggy marley first because i think that you'll in some ways relate to it being more slick um, which, is, which is, I think, like you say, it's a very, it's a good entry point because if you are not disgusted by '80s music, which is another, you know, polarizing uh, era for Western music, uh, then then Conscious Party is awesome because it, it's '80s music and reggae at the same time. I have yes. a question about that album, Flicker. Was Dalal the backup band on that record? No, that's Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers. Oh, that's the Melody Make. But okay, because yeah. do you know about Talal? No, Freddie, please tell me about Talal. Talal is an Ethiopian <laughs> reggae band from Chicago, based out of Chicago. Okay, that basically became Ziggy Marley's band. Okay, and they play on. I thought I thought they played on the Melody Makers, but I guess I'm wrong. They play on all of Ziggy Marley's solo albums oh, okay the, the only reason i know this because is because when i was at disc makers i made records for them i handled their account and looked them up dalal d-a-l-l-o-l they're an ethiopian reggae band amazing band from based out of chicago wow, so that's a, that's a lot right there awesome. yeah um, I'm in. yeah <laughs> I'm in. adam I- Adam, um, I'd like to kind of go to you for a second. So, um, your 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 top pick, Ernest uh, Wranglin, um, was also it gave me that similar feels like it's it's it stood out from the long list on the Spotify playlist because it had different sounds, had maybe updated kind of sounds like slicker sounds. Um, and for me personally, who doesn't listen to reggae all the time, those were the albums that I could um, could kind of like understand and kind of feel a little bit more. Um, tell me a little bit about um, about that pick and why you know why it was your number one pick as opposed to you know say Burning Spear or um, you know the Kaya, which were I guess more kind of traditional sounding reggae albums. Well, I mean, uh, as we have learned doing this, as I mean, I mean, this is what our two hundred and seventy fifth podcast or so. We're around there, <laughs> maybe fourteenth, fifteenth, or sixteenth, <laughs> yeah, somewhere <laughs> in there. But uh, and uh, you know. It, in in the long discussions of things, the uh, the root of a lot of our choices, and I think I think we can almost go down the line on this, is nostalgia, and that's in like I find nostalgia is a powerful drug when it comes to music, uh, and really this was like I mean I, I had a, I mean I think a lot of uh, kids um, you know from a, 
my you know my time uh you know, uh, from my demographic, uh, you know, we all did the Bob Marley thing. I mean, he, he seems to kind of be, you know, the spokesman for reg- the one that kind of or, cuts through. I, or, or Cool Runnings, you know. So, oh, yeah. Or, 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 or John Candy and Dougie Doug. Yes. Uh, but uh, like, uh, and then they did the Bob Marley thing. The Bob Marley thing's fun. And I and I had those jazz head friends who are like, you know, kind of like, no, you can't just play regular drums. You know, they, like they, I had the people yelling at me about reggae you know from the start about it like because it's like it's it is that type of music that like in the uh the thing that sounds so simple but it's not like reggae is very much very much that but uh but, but the earnest wrangling was just saying i'm a, a buddy of mine jazz guitarist buddy just gave me that and then i kind of you know uh still that wasn't much of that great of a guitar player yet and i just kind of fell in love with uh, the the yeah the fusion of things it just it's it was something oh this is there's more than just Bob Marley to reggae. Right on. And, and, so, and so I want to uh, take a, a different tact here and say, so um, Flicker, you were kind of saying that, yeah, you know, uh, the folks in Jamaica were kind of um, imbibing and that slowed the music down. Uh, they were kind of getting, they were getting high, I guess, what, really. What they're, and so the music slowed down, right? And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, that will make someone, if it slowed down, that will make someone feel a little more calmer or a little more like chill, a little more relaxed. And uh, then I look to the lyrics and a lot of this stuff and it's like, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you don't have an album, you know, as a title Marcus Garvey uh, or, you know, some of these other things like, or even like legalize it, like, which is like, it's like a forceful saying, Hey, it's like a protest kind of saying, like a political statement. Uh, why is, why is that? why on one hand it slowed down and relaxed like uh tempo wise but all of a sudden from a lyrical standpoint it's just like go 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 i'm I'm not a jamaican so i can't speak directly to this but what i can say is that throughout the evolution of jamaican music uh the the people of Jamaica are dealing with different situations. Uh, when when Mento and Ska was around, uh, we're talking. It, it it sounds like a party because it kind of was a party in Jamaica at the time. Uh, you know, J- Jamaica. I, again, I'm not a historian though. I, I kind of should be at, at this point. Jamaica had just uh, gained its independence uh, relatively recently compared to the advent of Mento and Ska, uh, and so people were thrilled and the music sounded like it was thrilled or thrilling and my guess is that uh you know jamaica as a country as an independent country uh continued to go through uh you know it's it's fair share of like uh racist bullshit um you know even though jamaica is an independent country for an amount of time and even through till today you have uh you know members of the minority white community who are running things in the government uh or who were running things in the government where you have a bunch of privileged white rich people who you know were are technically jamaican but you know are not part of uh, uh the majority of the demographic there and uh because of that, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see uh, some bullshit go down uh, governmentally that uh, poured into the streets of some of the larger cities of Jamaica. You know, there was gang warfare and uh, shit like that going on during various uh, contentious uh, uh, prime ministerial elections. 
uh, in the country. Uh, and so it's understandable that why all the music was slowing down because everybody was just kind of like doing their best to stay cool, uh, that like people sure had a lot to say about uh, the political situation in Jamaica and in the world in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. Brandon, what do you got, man? Uh, so uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Flickr, because something that I not struggle with, but but um, I think I think reggae can often be the butt of many jokes. I think a lot of people, it's easy to make fun of reggae in a lot of ways. And so like, I wanted to just explore that a little bit because it does, the music has this duality of being, can be very political, as I said earlier, like the most feel good protest music that I can ever think of. And then there's a lot of it that can just feel like a party. And then there's a lot of it that can just feel like, like almost, you know, a religious type of experience in terms of the Rastafarian religion. Um, but the other thing about the music is I don't know of any other genre of music that is so standardized in terms of the, the rhythmic elements of it. And like from a production standpoint, I've, I've worked on a little bit of that stuff. And there's like, there's certain like, like guys that we call it, like you've got, like like flicker you you know this well like the bubbler guy the organ part that's like the the yep. boom bop boom bop that whole you got thing. the skank and the bubble and it all interlocks right exactly yeah. and yeah, like yeah. so i just wanted you guys to speak a little bit to that of like the the duality of the genre but also the simplicity of it and how how that works i also feel like we could do a whole show on like the the uh the play on the punny reggae names of bands like 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 Dread Zeppelin and Yellow Dubmarine. Like that, I feel like while that stuff is fun, it doesn't do the genre any favors in terms of the legitimacy of it, I think. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, well, you know, for as amazing as Bob Marley is and as for as much as he did uh, for the genre internationally – and because of as much as he did for the genre internationally, he's almost like a cartoon character at this point, um, which it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, my sister is a little bit more, uh, she's a little bit more well-traveled than I am internationally. And she, she's told me that basically if, if you are somewhere in the world and you don't, or you come nowhere close to speaking that language, and you want to ask somebody where the weed at, you you call it Bob Marley. You literally say, "I'm looking for Bob Marley." You can say it in India. You can say it in you know anywhere, anywhere where like where where reggae is not from, and everybody right. knows who Bob Marley is, and that is uh, an amazing thing, but also in a way detrimental because he's become this cartoon character um and you know you you can say that uh one could say that uh you 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 can put together all the components of a reggae song um anybody can put together all the components of a reggae song and it can sound like reggae but uh you know uh, i don't know how to how to say this any any more accurate but I mean, Americans be Americans, man. Like, if 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 we're gonna if we're gonna choose to find something goofy about something that other people might take very seriously, uh, we're not gonna give a damn. Uh, and and thus we have bands such as Yellow Dove Marine or or Dread Zeppelin, and 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 that's cool too, right? Because that spreads the music around. If if American reggae, in my opinion, is relatively subpar. 
it's all it doesn't even matter right because like if 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 that kind of music hits the right kid's ears he's gonna go back and he's gonna find stuff on our lists um and then and 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 something good has come of it (laughs) something good and educational and productive adam what do you got man and that kind of leads to the one of the points i was thinking about when we were doing this podcast is the uh I guess uh, I, I, I might uh, correct me if I'm making up this word, but the hyper compartmentalization of the uh, reggae, uh, the reggae genre. And, and just just for like a, an example, uh, you know, when you think of like marching band music, who, like who do you think of? Like, like oh. I don't think about I don't think Sousa, that. that's right. That's yeah, right. John, John Philip Sousa. Sousa. <laughs> 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 but uh but it's like and, and there were other writers of like marching music and everything but uh, like you know time has like compartmentalized marching music into john philip sousa and you know a bunch of nobody but like but but um and in, in in this instance um bob marley's been gone 40 years uh, to the to the year and, and all of a sudden he owns the entire genre to a, like a widespread amount of people and so it just it like it really just happened really fast. And I say and I and as we're talking about, it, I don't think it does service to the rest of the um, all these other artists here. And that, that's what's great. I'm glad there's only two Bob Marley choices amongst 15. That's fantastic. And that's a testament to, you know, how much we're like, you know, not just giving into that. And I just wanted to kind of yeah, I just you don't see many genres just get like taken over by one guy, you know, so quickly. Nice. He is the man. Bob Marley is definitely the great introducer. Yeah. He shouldn't be the know-all, and he shouldn't be the the only. Well, I mean, there's there's uh, there's uh, wildly different ways to play reggae. Uh, you know, case in point, any anything really by Steel Pulse. Uh, they they were when they were coming up at Steel Pulse in the late seventies. They were hanging out with the police in right. in huh. in england They're and you can hear you, you can hear it in the drumming uh you can hear it in the singing you can hear it in in some of the rhythm guitar parts that are not skanks um and uh it's it's kind of interesting we, we haven't really gotten into this too much but british reggae is in a way completely different than jamaican reggae uh but just as valid right because the yeah. West Indies population in the UK, they were going through the same kind of like racist bullshit. Yep. Uh, but their version of it in England in the 70s and the 80s, even through till today. And, you know, they, they put their own spin on on this protest music. And it is just the best. Yeah. And I, so I, I want to uh, talk about that a tiny bit with the music part. And uh, Steel Pulse is a good um, uh, album, that, that um, tribute to the Martyrs album. At Flickr, what's up with it? Their intros are all like every single intro is like crazy. I think I think that they were just going for a vibe there. I mean, that if you really if you want to if you listen closely, their intros are uh, weird modifications of the bridges of the songs uh-huh. um, uh, that that happened beforehand and. <laughs> And I, I think that, that that isn't really a genre thing as much as it is a production choice, in my opinion. Uh, that's got that's got to be, I mean, you know, we've all been in recording studios making stuff before. And, you know, you, somebody comes up with an idea and, like, next thing you know, the whole room is like, yes, that's the idea. And then you run with it. Right. And then you next thing you know, you have an album where all the intros are kind of like they follow <laughs> the same format and follow the same vibe. 
And, you know, I, I can understand why one would want to make intros. It, uh, for those who haven't heard the record yet, uh, they're like uh, wispy reductions of the parts of, 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 of a later part of each song. Um, and to me, that just, it sounds like a relatively arbitrary production choice. Uh, yes. But I love it. <laughs> right on. It's so funny you bring that up, Flickr, because I... You telling that story makes so much sense because I remember the first time we ever worked together in person, we've, we've played on a lot of records together, but almost never in the same room. And the first time we ever worked together in person, um, the song hadn't found its footing yet. And you were the one that was like, what if we went this way with it? And it turned into a very much reggae drenched song. And like, that happens when I make suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be no coincidence. And to me, like, you know, I've heard that go the wrong way so many times. But in that particular session, I think it went the right way. I think it was it was where it needed to go. And it was a very unlikely turn from from where my mind was coming with that song. And so, um, yeah, it was just very interesting. I think that, that connects well and speaks to your musicality. Thank nice. you very much. <laughs> so, uh, Freddie, what do you got? Uh, I just wanted to... Uh jump back into something real quickly that I alluded to in the first uh, section, and that being a timeline. Um, I, I dare say that the, I think the golden age of reggae in Jamaica was probably the mid-70s, like 74, 75, 76, because most of the Jamaican albums that people picked came out around that era except for the melody makers who are kind of like a second generation reggae band because of the bloodline however i think the british uh jamaican golden era might be the early 80s you know what i mean because i've got like true democracy by steel pulse as one of my honorable mentions i love that album it seems like there was like a golden era in Jamaica and then uh, the British bands that finally had made it had their golden era. Uh, Flicker, what do you think of, about that? Is well, that it's interesting that you bring that up uh, because something that I thought about when I put together my list, and this has to do with my age and, and where I'm coming from and my opinions, uh, is that I, I think the albums that really speak to me the most are the ones that are really in their ways the most bare bones. Like they're the ones where like that you can hear that they are, I mean, either either they, they tracked their parts at different times or you put the entire band like in a room or in the studio and everybody tracked everything at once and there wasn't much going on so much in post-production. Uh, they, they sound like bands that are playing in a room. Uh, oh. And that, I, I can say that in, in the early 80s, but then also in the early 80s in Jamaica, or, or the, by, by the mid-early 80s in Jamaica, that was when they were like, oh, what, is, what are these drum machines everybody's using now in the 80s? You know what I mean? And, and, and things got a lot less rootsy, as I like to say. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't really make it over to the UK until a number of years later, a small number of years later. But yes, uh, a lot of the British reggae records that were coming out in the early 80s were still that they were still the band in the room playing right, right. and the fact 
that you can achieve that level of funkiness and that level of interconnectedness and that level of forethought and composition without any effects or pro post-production is, it's just amazing to me I get, I am a guy who gets so uh, relatively bored of genres of music uh, quickly, or at least I feel like maybe I have figured it out, figured out X genre. And uh, I, and I just, when you can have like a group of five guys, group of six guys, group of seven guys, just playing music without any real effects happening. Uh, and, and for me, you know, like, like 20, 25 years later, I'm still trying to figure out why they were like, all right, this thing goes here and this thing goes here and it's in interlocks. The fact that they were able to figure that out is constantly engaging to me. Right. Um, and that does bring it back to this golden age that you're talking about where it's just guys in a room playing. Uh, without any crazy effects, without any weird drum machines, without any like digital record scratches or anything like that. Right, right, Obviously, right. that comes later, as I like to say. Nobody escaped the eighties unscathed. <laughs> or enhanced. Right or enhanced. Oh, for a second though, um, I we have to end. Oh, we have to end soon. But um, I kind of wanted to bring up something a little controversial before we get out of uh -oh. here. Here we go. Just because that's who I am. Um. And controversy. I just want to say, like, uh, so with reggae, what I like about reggae is, um, you know, what my personally and I get drawn to it easily on first glance, right, is like the beat, right? And what I get um, turned off by reggae um, after a certain amount of time is the beat because it doesn't change. Um, so I get sucked in and I'm like, I love it. And then I'm like, damn, well, all right, what's the next? What's the next soon? And, and it's like the next song comes on it's the same beat as the first song as like a genre uh or like and i or i equated to like even thinking about other kind of music like purdy shuffle i freaking love the purdy shuffle but if i heard 10 songs with the purdy shuffle i'd be like i i don't know i don't want to hear the purdy shuffle anymore but as a genre it's based around that beat so um, I guess, what, what do you guys think about that? Or do you not think about Or is that just me? Adam? All right. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to task here real, real fast. Yeah. Real fast. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I think what you, what you are saying can be said with any type of music. But, we, you know, I mean, uh, every country song sounds the same. Every, you know, rock and roll song sounds the same. But what? what, what well, you're not lying. I'm not lying, but here's where I'm going. <laughs> That that like pretty much we we are in an era of uh, multiple crossbreeding cross pollination, and 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 the variety you know we can get variety at, you know at, with Spotify at the tip of, at the tip of our fingers and and, and it becomes these like a uh, more like a not narrow but more concentrated genres that sound repetitive but I mean that's just what one style of music is that's that same with you were talking about like with the Ernest Wrangling it's like yeah he incorporated other things and it became something different that's just but reggae is reggae I mean blues is blues, blues same yeah a lot of yeah, people I mean, feel I think, the same yeah. way about blues yep totally agree totally yeah. agree um so but is so the, is that just I guess uh, uh when it comes down to is that a failing on the listener's part for not understanding the nuances or or is it a failure on the Partially. genre's part when the genre Hey man, or the failure on the genre's part for um, not pulling 
trying to pull in a listener. So for instance, like when I listened to that Ziggy Marley album, I go back to that. I was like, yeah, it gave me like sting vibes. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I can like, I know what this is. I know where to place this in my brain and I can like get into it deeper. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, for me, for me, uh, I understand what you're saying and I, I, it's completely valid. Um, and I think it has to do with the listening habits of the listener and what resonates with the listener. Uh, for me, as a listener, for, for any kind of music, uh, for example, uh, for all examples, I have a very difficult time hearing lyrics. Uh, I have to, like, go on the internet and, like, read what the hell the lyrics are because I just, I can't, it doesn't register. Um, and I think the reason why is because of my angle of approach for listening. Um, and so what I would say is that Every reggae song is different, actually, merely because of the baseline, um, and 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 because there is there is literally a right and a wrong way to play a baseline for each reggae song. It kind of puts it in the arena for me with classical music, um, and I and I truly believe that I, I you know that's not hyperbole. Um, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And I, I think that when your listening habits develop past the repetitiveness of the drumbeat, which is admittedly quite repetitive, you'll find elements of nuance that you didn't consider before because you were too busy being like, I figured out the drumbeat. I know how the drumbeat goes already. You know what I mean? And yes, Adam. Oh, um, I just wanted to... Uh... It that just sparked something in my head, Flicker, that uh, that I think we can all kind of uh, that some of us uh, NEPA people can kind of appreciate. And I, and I saw the I saw the um, the Whalers. I'd say maybe two thousand two ish, maybe at Tinks in Scranton. Yeah. And oh, remember Tinks? <laughs> but um, and I just remember uh, it was uh, and it was actually you know still Family Man uh on the bass. Mm -hmm. And I mean, oh, I mean, number one, he just had he just smoked like three spliffs for the entire show but like i was just i just remember being completely mesmerized by by the bass playing it, it, it becomes like the central the pivot point of, of, of everything that yeah. is reggae so i'm just like i i, I hear you 100 percent far and away the most important compositional aspect of reggae would be the bass line uh you know i don't i wasn't there when when they were writing those songs i wasn't there when steel pulse was writing those songs and, and and I still to this day constantly wonder with with some of these songs with the more engaging bass lines, uh, what came first, the vocal melody or the bass line? Because these things lock in, but they don't lock in a hundred percent. They lock in only like it's like it's like they're like going in to visit their friends and like somebody's like in there and then the bass player comes in at the same time and they interact for just a little bit and then the other one leaves and it's really it's genius, man. There's no other genre where the bass line will lock into other aspects melodically. You know, usually the bass is just like supportive, you know, more or less. Uh, but but melodically, the bass is really what sets everything apart for me. And I am able to get way past the repetitiveness of the drum beat because mm. of the forethought that's put into the composition of that component. Brendan, what do you got, man? Yeah, just real quick, as the, the bass player in our room here, I remember getting hipped very early on to which is one of my honorable mentions which we didn't really have much time to say but babylon by bus 
with uh, with the Family Man is playing on that. And perfect example. Yeah, if you put that record on, I think it illustrates beautifully what Flicker's talking about in terms of the bass is driving that thing, and it's so interesting while staying simple, which I think is is really the holy grail of bass lines. When you can do something that is interesting while staying simple, it's it's everything. And deep, 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 deep bass. Love the deep bass. Freddie, what do you got, man? Yeah, just to take it one step further, and <clears throat> I'm sure, Flicker, you know about this. So they have these, a term called rhythms, R-I-D-D-I-M-S, where, and again, there's, this is like when we talk about jazz, like playing the changes, yes, rhythm they changes. Like standards, yes. They have standard rhythms that other songs are built on top of that they know about that that is a whole separate canon within the genre. So, right. that, so, that, so, for, so for example, if we are on a reggae gig and a singer calls a rhythm that we all know because right. we are all reggae musicians, the singer could actually literally sing five or six separate different songs to the same instrumental parts right and those would be covers by different artists on the same rhythm yep. on the same instrumental track sada masagana one of the most classic ones of all oh definitely appropriated over and over i don't again, think yeah. that helps yep. with aaron's point though <laughs> no. well it does and it doesn't it it, it it tells you how special it is that your discerning ear has to be able to know that shit well i will say i will say uh from my from my standpoint learning uh this was very this this whole conversation has been very informative to me because um it kind of brought me to think about how i listen to music and how i listen to reggae specifically with um i guess when i listen to reggae i hear like the guitar and i hear the drums and then i'm like oh same and then i just like my brain shuts down but now i know hey aaron you're you're not listening to a rock song or whatever right or like a funk song like you need to like switch your brain and like listen to it and just like really focus on the bass and then maybe i can discover more things inside the music that i didn't understand um so that was that's been really helpful kind of to think I, about that i really like to think of uh the best reggae music as as very three-dimensional where you know you really can look at it as a whole but uh, when you zoom in on the different components and you get deeper in on the different on the different dimensions of the different components, it the whole world opens up. Uh, you know, I've I, I gotta use Steel Pulse as an example again. I'm sorry, but I was first introduced to this band when I was 16. There, I, I'm 37 now. There, I, I could give an example of a song that I've been listening to for literally 20 years that I have that I heard new stuff on that I didn't hear on the recording before last year. I heard new stuff last year. I've been listening to it for 20 years. You know what I mean? What mm-hmm. other genre gives can can do that? You know, you can't. Yeah, there's no other genre that's engaging like that. Well, Stevie Wonder, but that's well, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Stevie Wonder. I'll give you that. Um, him, him and Bob Marley were buddies. <laughs> well, uh, I got to say, uh, we, we've had a great conversation here uh, today, guys. Um, and I think we're going to um, kind of shut it down now. Um, but uh, I want to say, uh, Professor Flicker, that was excellent, man. I learned so much, and hopefully other folks out there learned so much. Yeah. Thank you so and, much for having uh, me. Awesome. We got we to have you yeah, on again and uh, talk about, you know, you know, whatever you want to talk about. And I listen to other genres as well. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. 
So for uh, for Freddie and for Adam and for Brendan and for uh, Professor Flicker, this is Aaron Brown, the John Stockton of podcasts. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back again next week. Take care. Right fiction. <laughs>